How are you tonight? Amen. We're in Matthew 13. So head on over to Matthew 13, verses 28 through 30. God willing, we're going to cover three verses tonight. Hope you've been enjoying Matthew 13, these kingdom, kingdom parables here that we're kicking off and understanding the kingdom and that we're part of the kingdom of God. Amen. We are just passing through this life. This is not our final destination. Sojourners, that means we're, you know, we're headed on through here because we have a final destination that's in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God, with God in heaven for eternity. What an awesome, awesome thing to think about that. No matter what life throws at us, at the end of it, we're going to fall into the arms of Jesus. I know about you, but that knocks the stress level down when you begin to think of it. Amen. So, Father, tonight we thank you for understanding kingdom things and these kingdom parables that help us live this life in a way that we don't invest too much here because we are headed for a different destination. Father, allow these things to come alive to us tonight and give us wisdom as we look at them. And I ask that in Jesus' name and the church said. So I'm going to read verses 28 through 30, and then I'm going to... I'm going to read that kingdom parable, and then I'm going to give you Jesus' explanation in 36 through 43. We're going to skip down there. We're going to look at the parable as he gives it, and then we're going to get his explanation and work that in. So it says here in Matthew 13, starting in verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So remember, someone sowed weeds in the wheat. There was tares, and he says in his analysis here, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, at least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them. But but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's the parable, the finishing of it. And here's Jesus' explanation in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Verse 37, he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the, fur into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So a powerful conclusion to this parable and a great explanation that allows all the pieces to fall in place. Last week, we looked at defining what the kingdom, the kingdom is. And there were two kingdoms in operation, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Both kingdoms had a similar structure. They each have a king. They have workers. They have citizens of the kingdom. And both of 
them have expressions in both the natural realm and the heavenly realm. Notice there's a natural expression of the kingdom of God. What? In the, in the earthly realm. It's the church. And then there's a supernatural expression, the kingdom of heaven in heaven. Same thing with, you know, the kingdom of darkness there. You have hell where Satan rules from. What a great place to have your corporate headquarters. wonder what the air condition bill is. But then there's also people who are in the earth who refuse to serve God and serve the darkness. And so there are workers there. We said angels were the workers of the, uh, God's kingdom and demons were the workers of the kingdom of darkness. So very simplistic understanding of the kingdom. It doesn't have to get too complex, even though uh, these things are very complex if you dig into them. So we looked at the first kingdom parable here, the parable of the tares in the field. And we learned in verses 26 through 28 that the quality of the seed matters. Remember, the the man who sowed the seed sowed what kind of seed? Good seed, amen. Sow good seeds into your future. Sow good seeds into your present. Sow good seed. Because whatever seed you sow, you reap, amen. We're going to reap whatever seed we sow. So we should be sowing good seed. So the seed quality mattered. We can do everything right and still have weeds in our life. Notice he sowed good seed, and what was in the good seed? Tares. He did everything right and still had to deal with the weeds, and that's us in life. There are times where we have trouble, we have issues, we have drama, and you're like, Lord, what did I do? And sometimes we've done nothing wrong. Sometimes we've done everything right, and because we have, the enemy attacked us. And we deal with the weeds. You know, it's so incredible. Every time something goes wrong in life, we, we automatically either want to blame ourselves, someone else, or God. But sometimes it's just, you know, the devil sowing weeds. And we're going to have to deal with that. So uh, are there weeds? We should analyze where they come from. If we sowed them, then we take our lumps. If the enemy sowed them, then we let God deal with that. But people will always question us and sometimes assume the worst about us just like the servants did here, they came to him and said, didn't you sow good seed? Every time something goes wrong, there'll be people who want to put the blame on you, put an accusation on you, question your integrity. Uh, we looked at Job's friends, and if those are friends, sometimes we can do without friends. Job's friends were tough. So the last thing we learned last week is that the gift of spiritual discernment is a very important one because we need to identify where the weeds are coming from. Like I said, if we sow them, then we take our lumps and we sow something different. But if the enemy sowed them, we've got to know that. We can't blame people. We can't blame others. And we can't even blame ourselves unless we can discern where the weeds are coming from. Someone say amen. We pick up in verse 28 here, uh, and the one who sowed the good seed discerns where the weeds have come in. He says, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? Man who sowed the seed exercises accurate spiritual discernment. That's a very important thing. You know, sometimes people think they have discernment and really they're just jumping to conclusions. You ever, you ever see people like that? Or they'll blame everybody. And then when they find out who it was or what it was, then they forget that they accused everyone else. You ever ever see that? I lost this and you stole it. And then all of a sudden you find it. Oops. Ever seen that before? So 
accurate spiritual discernment is vital. We see the one who sowed the good seed, uh, you know, he's exercising accurate spiritual discernment. And he identifies correctly who sowed the weeds. Uh, He says an enemy has done this. He knew it wasn't bad seed. It wasn't, you know, shifty workers. No, an enemy has done this. Now, the servant's response to this revelation is one of reflexive action. How many know there's a time to be reflexive and take action immediately? Anyone? And there's time to just hold your horses. Amen? The servants respond reflexively. They want to take action. Should we go and rip them up right now, boss? You know, they're ready to go. Well, look at that weed field. It's got weeds in it. Let's go get the weeds. Are you with me? Sometimes reflexive is good, you know, and sometimes it's not. Decisive action is absolutely necessary sometimes, and sometimes it's not. I remember one time we were on, uh, we were on the mission field of New York City. Pre- we were doing a street drama. Uh, on the streets of New York City. And we're, as we're doing this drama, it was The Champion by Carmen. And anybody remember Carmen? Like three old people, praise God. So we're out there, and we're, doing, we're leading people to Christ. And as we're doing this drama, I'll never forget, this big guy comes out of nowhere, and immediately he grabs one of the actors by the throat. And this one kid who was in the production, who was a Marine, immediately jumped on the guy's back put him in a, a rear naked choke and began to choke this guy. The guy's going like, and the rest of us paused for just a second while we were thinking, you know, what's going on here? But the Marine who was trained acted immediately. You see, sometimes people are trained to act reflexively and people who aren't pause for a second. Both of those things are important. We have to discern if it's time actively, reflexively get involved right now because, you know, sometimes if you hesitate, it's too late. And sometimes we have to be able to step back and take a breath and say, you know what, now's not the time to take action. This divisive action, decisive action, I mean, is, is a necessary thing at times. The key to dealing with the drama in our lives is to know the difference between when we should act and when we should not. And it's real quiet tonight. Because what do we do? While you're looking at me out there saying nothing, I know it's because we all do. When it's time to do something, we usually go, I don't want to get involved. When when, when it's time to act decisively, we want to pray about it. But when it's time to do nothing, we want to roll up our sleeves and jump right in there and give them a piece of our mind and tell them how it is. Oh, Wednesday night. Come on, am I telling the truth in church or what? All right. So, you know, knowing the difference of how to act in a situation, there again, it comes back to accurate spiritual discernment. These guys want to roll up their sleeves, jump right out in the field, and rip up all the weeds. Now, uh, you know, that, that's going to be the wrong thing to do in this instance. So how do we control our flesh when we, you know, when we don't discern, or how do we keep ourselves from jumping in when we should hold back? There's three ways to control the flesh I want to talk about. The first is this. The spiritual fruit of self-control comes in handy here. Did you know self-control was a fruit of the Spirit? 
Yes, it is. Okay. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control at the end of the list. Against such there is no law. You and I need to develop the spiritual, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, that spiritual strength of being in control of ourselves. Amen. And what's the hardest thing to control? Ourselves, our mouths, our tongues. Amen. So how do we control our flesh so we don't jump in there and make a mess when it's time to restrain ourselves? Well, we develop the fruit of the Spirit, that's self-control. The second way we control our flesh is this. We, we, we have to deal with our anger and our pride before we're into this situation. Well, you know, I got into a situation and my anger got the best of me and I, you know, I made a bigger mess. Why is that? Because we didn't deal with our anger beforehand. You don't deal with your anger when you're in the midst of the anger. Right? As you're yelling and screaming and doing all those things that, you know, are unbecoming for a believer. And you're thinking, man, I really need to work on my anger. I should take, you know, an anger management class. We have to work on our anger and our pride before we get into the heat of the situation. Listen to what Proverbs 29, 22, and 23 says. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Wow. Okay, I'm going to read that again to you because you're just all looking at me. This is a good one. In fact, write it down tonight, Proverbs 29, 22 through 23. You're not writing it down. Some of you are just looking at me. Get a crayon, get something. One person, okay, good. You get a gold star. Write this scripture down. I'm gonna, there's going to be a test next week, and if you, if you don't answer it, we're going to shoot you with a paintball gun. So Proverbs 29, 22 through 23, this is so powerful. An angry man stirs up strife. And a furious man abounds in transgression. Listen, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. How do we deal with our flesh? Well, we got to deal with our anger and our pride before we're in the, the situation. And it's something we should be working on as Christians and, and becoming mature. You know, Jesus didn't fly off the handle. Jesus didn't just always get into a rage. There's only a few times where he really, you know, he, when, he, when he made that whip out of cords and flipped over some tables, but that was one instance. Some of us, we go right to the whip and the tables. All the time, every day is, woo, flip the tables day. Yeah. This is a rare instance here. Jesus was under control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Dealing with pride and anger helps us to keep our flesh in place. Number three, the third way we control the uh, fleshly reflexes that get us all is to have more faith in the justice of God. You see, the reason we figure we got to handle something right now and, and in the heat of the moment is because we think we have the ability to effectuate justice and really only God does. Usually when we're trying to mete out justice, we're making a bigger mess. And really we have to have more faith in God that he's going to make the crooked thing straight. Listen to Isaiah 42, 16. I will bring the blind by the way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have never known. 
I will make darkness light before them and crooked and the crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. So God promises his people in this spot and in many different spots. And the Bible says that vengeance is the Lord. So, you know, we don't need to mete out justice. We don't need to set things straight. We, we don't need, there's times where, you know, we have to stand up and hold up the standard, I understand. But there again, it's kind of like the whipping, the flipping the tables. 99% of the time, God just wants us to wait and trust him to straighten out the crooked things. That's how we handle the flesh. We trust God. We, you know, we, we get that fruit of the spirit of self-control developed in life. We deal with our anger and our pride so that it doesn't get the best of us in the heat of the moment. Verse 29 continues. It says, but he said to them, no. So should we go pull him up? The answer is no. <coughs> he gives a reason. At least while you gather up the tares, while you're out there plucking up the weeds, you also uproot the wheat with them realize something that's growing in a field when it's in its formative stages the wheat just sprang up remember and the tares did too so it's in its formative stages and the root bed is not very strong it's it's delicate if you go in there stepping on it and you know if you plant a garden you don't go in there with your work boots and start stomping around and i don't know why nothing's growing it's delicate and jesus is saying if you go in there now guys you know, if you, if you go in there and you start ripping stuff up, you're going to rip up the wheat with the tares. Yeah, there's a couple tares in there, but that's a wheat field. And so the answer for the immediate action in this case and in a lot of cases is no. Uh, no, we're not going to do that right now. Now, restraining yourself when the answer is no is a lot harder than it looks most of the time, our egos and even the people around us are provoking us to react immediately. Have you ever been in a situation? Have you ever had to make a decision? Have you ever needed to figure out in the, in the heat of the moment how to handle something? And you've got people around you who are pushing you. It's amazing how people will tell you to do it. And they'll stand back and watch. But nowadays, they don't just watch, they film it. You're like, let's see this guy. And then they post it online. And then everybody knows you acted like a fool. There'll always be people around giving you their opinion, telling you what to do, telling you not to take that, telling you to jump in there right now and straighten it out. You're not going to put up with that. As a pastor, I've had people try to push me to do all kinds of things. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, 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 no. And sometimes the people around are me, you better do it. Why didn't you do it? Why did you do it? Blah, 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 blah. We've got to have discernment. We've got to have the fruit of the spirit of self-control but we're going to have people around us that are going to push us and our own flesh is going to agree with them many times react immediately take care of it now go pluck up those weeds and it's going to be destructive doing nothing might be the hardest thing to do at times but it might also be the wisest there have been times in church where i've had to restrain myself from dealing harshly with certain situations to restrain myself from dealing harshly with certain people where on paper they really, you know, I really should have gave it to them, but the Holy Spirit was restraining me. Listen, 
and, and everybody's saying, you need to do this, you need to handle that, you need to sit them down, you need to throw them out, and the Holy Spirit's saying, stop. So now you've got to fight your flesh, and you've got to fight the crowd, and you've got to be obedient enough to obey the Holy Spirit. And the answer was no, and, you know, the servants probably wanted to jump out there, but the master restrained them. Why? Because it would have been counterproductive for them to do what they wanted to do in that instance. Just like it would have been counterproductive for me to jump into a situation and react harshly. I've had, you know, there's so many times in, you know, almost 30 years of ministry that I have people demanding I do something and the Holy Spirit saying, don't do it. And you know what? I'm so glad that I've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit. God has restrained me, and instead of making a mess, there's times where I've seen restoration. I've seen repentance. You know, God jumped in there and, 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 and convicted the person, and I didn't have to light them up. They came to me with tears in their eyes, and God restored them. Or, you know, they were broken and came to repentance. But there are times when I didn't see either of those two, two things, and you know what I saw? Bloodless removal. Oh, we'll go in there and light them up and throw them out and make a big drama out of it so the whole church is upset. And the Holy Spirit just plucked them up and moved them out, and they were gone. Some of you are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It wasn't you. You're still here. But, you know, I'll never forget that. It was a removal that I thought to myself, man, if I would have did that, what a mess it would have made. But they finally, you know, God finally had enough, and they had enough, and they, you know, they just marched right out the door, never to be seen again. Bye. Oh, happy day. When God removes your problems and you don't have to draw the sword. Didn't have to rip up the wheat with the tares. Thank you, Jesus, that you remove tares, you know, when we restrain ourselves. So, the answer is no. No is the hardest answer sometimes. Restraining ourselves is hard. These situations, you know, that aren't handled with wisdom and restraint, they wind up hurting people. They wind up hurting the body of Christ. They wind up hurting the kingdom of God. You understand? That's what this is about. If you go in there and do it in the flesh, you're gonna, you might get the tears out, but you're going to hurt the people of God. You're going to hurt the body. And that's why the answer is no. You know, I wonder if we realize the multitude of people who've allowed poorly handled situations in church to serve as the excuse why they don't go to church anymore. Listen to carefully to what I just said. You know, there was a situation handled poorly in church. Somebody did something. The pastor did something. The usher did something. You know, whatever. Somebody did something, and it wasn't handled just right. So now what? That person gets offended and uses it as the excuse. Notice what I'm saying. Not that, oh, you know, they're justified. Yes, they, you know, the church is supposed to be perfect and everything's supposed. No, it's just an excuse for them. And then they leave, and they don't come back, and they don't serve God anymore, and they, they take a 10-year break, and they're, they're, the, the weeds grow up and overtake their lives and choke out the good things God was growing in them. But I don't want to be the reason, I don't want to be the excuse that someone uses to jump up and, and run away from the things of the kingdom. Do you understand that? 
So that's why it's kind of like, you know, we restrain ourselves because why? It, it, you know, they, they might be immature. They might not have much faith. They, they might be babies in the Lord. But we who are mature need to restrain ourselves and, and, and deal with the weeds until God deals with the weeds. The man who sowed the good seed continues to exercise good wisdom in verse 30. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So, you know, he, he discerns it's an enemy. He, he hears the word of the Lord, which is not to do what, what the flesh wants to do. So he restrains himself. And then he exercises good wisdom here, and he continues to make the right decisions, knowing exactly how to restrain yourself in certain situ- situations will make the, the biggest difference in how the whole thing plays out. He says what? Let them grow together. Think about that. Weeds in good ground are sucking up nutrients. They're taking, you know, fertilizer. They're taking nitrogen. They're taking, you know, potassium, all this stuff. They're taking, they're sucking it out. They're actually taking it away from the wheat. So, you know, as someone who wants the wheat to grow, of course you want the weeds out of there because they're competing for the limited amount of nutrients are there. You think about that, how, how that could apply to the church. When you got people in the church who have a right heart and they're hungry and they want to grow and they want to serve, and you got people in the church that are dead wood and they got bad attitudes and all they want to do is criticize and complain. Oh, come on, Lord, let us boot them out. Woo! Give them the left foot of fellowship. God, why would you let them suck up the nutrients? Why would you let them sit under the anointing? Why would you let them, you know, enjoy all the benefits of fellowship? Do you realize how much of a benefit it is that you are part of the family of God and part of the body of Christ and have a church to come to, to worship and to grow and to hear the word? I don't think some of us realize it anymore because we've been here so long, we're just used to it. But when people come in that don't have a family and don't have a support structure and don't have a place where they can grow or worship or hear the word of God in due season that changes their lives, man, what a benefit we have. So, so God, why let the weeds grow and suck up all the good stuff that, you know, we, and God says, no, don't pull them up. Let them grow together. Not everything that looks like it's growing is spiritually healthy. Let me say that again. Not everything that looks like it's growing is spiritually healthy. To him who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Because we look at stuff, and if it's growing, you know... (laughs) If it's, you know, it looks like it's, it's, it's impressive, it's large, it's healthy, you know, certainly it must have the affirmation of God on it. Come on, stay with me. We're impressed by big things. We are impressed by big things, big personalities, big crowds, big buildings, big ministries, big levels of visibility and influence. But God is not impressed by big things. 
Jesus was never impressed by the big crowds. He, he didn't say, wow, let's whip out a big crowd today. Look at all the multitudes are here. Hey, Peter, look at this. This is good. This is going to be a good day. Jesus was never impressed with the big things. Being impressed by something that's big is not necessarily spiritual discernment because sometimes the big thing is devoid of, you know, the affirmation of God, the right heart, the right spirit. The multitudes were there for the wrong reasons. Now, look, I want everybody to be saved. So I don't say, you know, we should have churches of 30 people and that's it. And, you know, we should pick the weakest ones and throw them out so we don't get too big. I want everybody to be saved, amen? I, want, I don't want anybody to miss it. But, you know, it's not necessarily because it's a big thing or a big personality or a big building or a big ministry that it is, it is healthy and it's blessed by God. Look what he says. He, he said, you know, some of these big things, and not all of them, some of them are healthy, some of them have good leadership, praise God. But, you know, some of these things are just going to grow to the end, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weed them out. And we've seen it, if you're paying attention, we've seen it in the, in the last decades. We've seen big things rise and fall. We've seen them fall apart. We've seen them scattered. We've seen scandal after scandal. We've seen immorality. You say, what's that all about? Those were churches. Those were ministers. Those were God's people. Those were tares in the midst of the wheat. And God said, let them grow together. And some of them are not going to be dealt with until the very end. Now, think about that. This verse should scare the smugness out of every individual who's spiritually self-satisfied with their own performance, their own achievements, and their own success. Wow, I'm really doing good. I'm a super saint. Woo! Look at me. I'm so blessed, and I, I got this, and I got that, and, you know, I'm comfortable. And, and, what it, and we think because we're blessed and we have a lot of stuff and maybe we have an easy life that, you know, we're spiritually healthy, but that might not be the case. And that's why it should really scare us a little bit, that we should all be like, David, Lord, search me. Try me, know me, look in my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me. Because just because I'm doing good and I'm looking good and I'm making sense doesn't mean my heart is right. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. So big things are not always healthy and they don't always have the affirmation of God. Sometimes some things are just allowed to remain for a while until God deals with them. And all of us should be humble enough to let God take a look under the hood and show us what's going on in our hearts, you know. And, 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 and sometimes we just have to bring ourselves before him and say, Lord, am, am I all right? Am I right with you? Is everything good between us? How many of us do that? There's, I remember, you know, I've been, been married for 30 years this year, and I remember sometimes I come to my wife, how am I doing? How's everything? How, how are we doing over here? Right? Not so much anymore, right? Everything's so good, right? But, you know, it's good, it's good to do that. Honey, how, how am I doing? Are you, are you happy? Are you blessed? Are your needs met? It's drop-dead quiet now. 
hey, ladies, you tried. How, how am I doing? Am I, you know, am I pleasing to you? Are you uh, do you feel loved? Are your needs met? It's a good thing to do. A little, a little marital reality check, a little spiritual reality check. Because just because everything looks good on the outside and you're blessed and the bills are paid doesn't mean that the marriage is healthy, the family's healthy, the, the heart is healthy. I know this is the kind of preaching that makes you want to come back next week. But it's what's in the text here, and we've got to uncover it. So let them both grow together. Sometimes big things are not healthy things. Let's always remember that. Let's not be so, you know, impressed by just big stuff. And woo, we should be able to discern and have that razor-sharp discernment to, to just know if it's right or if it ain't right. Um, we should come to God and ask him, you know, am I growing properly? Am I healthy? Am I pleasing to you? Uh, am I... You know, are you still my first love? I want to say something about weeds. Weeds usually grow faster than the, than the crop. The weeds usually grow faster. They suck up more nutrients. Some of them have incredibly deep root systems. They're destructive. They take away from the crop. But the, the weeds will usually grow taller and faster and quicker and spread more pervasively than the crop, than the fruitful plants. So please understand, according to verse 30, weeds have a different destiny than the crop, even though they grow side by side with them. The servants suggest that the tares be uprooted immediately, but the, the master of the field makes them realize it's not their job. The reapers are going to do it in the final uh, address, and the tares will be gathered up, and they're going to be gathered up first in Jesus's, you know, Understanding here, uh, as the parable is unfolding, you know, we're, we're seeing that the tares will be dealt with, and they will be dealt with first, and they have a different destiny than the wheat, but it's not our job to deal with them. And that's important to know. There's times where we just have to trust God to work things out. Some people, you know, that are full of weeds, maybe God's going to weed them out and grow them up, and they're going to be healthy again. And some of them are going to be plucked up because, like Judas, they never had the right heart to be there in the first place. God's word is clear. God is going to deal with these things in the end. Every false teacher, every counterfeit prophet, every compromising hireling, every fake leader who deceives and fleeces the body of Christ for their own personal gain, uh, to gain filthy lucre, to line their pockets. Listen, God is going to deal with all of that. And none of us want to be in that group. Pray for the eyes of every believer, mine and yours too, to be open to the reality of our spiritual walk, that if something is wrong, we would be quick to repent. Repentance is the course correction we need many of the times, but a lot of times we don't entertain the fact that we, we, something could be wrong in us. The wheat has to put up with the intrusive, abusive presence of tares. You realize that? I told you over and over again, what? Weeds grow taller, faster. They suck up the nutrients. <laughs> that means what? The body of Christ is always going to have to put up with weeds that are difficult to deal with. Now, don't point at anybody. But there's some people who call themselves Christians 
and they're just weeds. And you could sense something's not right with them. Their heart's not right. Their attitude's not right. They're always nasty and angry and judgmental. What's wrong with them? Maybe it's weeds. Not our job to judge, not our job to pluck them up, not our job to point them out. But we must understand that we are going to put up with some abuse and some intrusiveness by weeds until the harvest. When the harvest come, the weeds will be dealt with and they'll have their destiny and the righteous will have their destiny. So the disciples ask for Jesus's, uh, you know, explanation of the parable in verse 36 through 43. I'm going to cover this quickly. Verse 36 uh, notice he starts off, the multitudes are sent away and they go into the house. Sometimes it's time to send the multitudes away. Sometimes it's time to have quiet time. Sometimes it's time to go up into your house, in your secret place, in the wilderness, which is you and the Lord or you and your close inner circle, your disciples, your friends, your family. He sends them away. And then the disciples ask him, uh, you know, What's the deal with this parable? Explain it to us. So don't neglect the incredible blessing that we have as children of God to enjoy intimate time and alone time with Jesus. And when you're there, ask questions, and they do that. So, you know, church on Sunday is great, and Wednesday service is great, and special meetings are great, and youth group and men's ministry and women's ministry are great. Fellowship of all kind is awesome, but nothing compares to or can replace Alone time with Jesus. Amen. So here's the breakdown of the parable. We start off in verse 37. Jesus is the one who sows the good seed. Ah, that's why he makes all the right decisions. That's why he has such razor-sharp discernment. The one who's sowing the seed is Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The tares or the weeds are the sons of the wicked one. Realize, two kingdoms in operation. Both of them have citizens. The, in this case, both of them are sown in the same field, you know, the world. And, and there's going to be weeds in the world and weeds in the church, and there's going to be weeds. But they are either sons of the kingdom or sons of the wicked one. And in verse 39, we're told, uh, to no surprise, that the enemy is the devil. So realize, the devil plants the tares. The devil puts people and, uh, you know, difficult, weedy people in our way all the time, every day. You ever drive down the road and you're like, where do these people come from? What? You know, you, you sit down at your cubicle. I mean, I was just in the situation where we were doing something, and there was someone there just cussing and complaining and being around. I'm like, where do these people come from? They're planted. They're plants. They're weeds sown by Captain Weed himself, the devil. And they're not there by accident. They're there to distract you, to annoy you, to sidetrack you, to get you to act impulsively. The harvest at the end of the age is where the reapers or the angels come and bring in the harvest. So, see, the job of pulling up the weeds wasn't the servants, wasn't the citizens of the kingdom. The job is the angels. The angels are the ministering spirits of God 
are going to separate the wheat from the tares. They're going to deal with the weeds and the people with the wrong hearts and the Judases and the, the, all of them. They're going to deal with all of them. It's not our job. It's the angel's job. So if you are in full weed removal mode, you need to stop. It's not your job. The angels will take care of that at the end of the age. Some of these things are going to persist to the end of the age. The wicked are dealt with at the end of the age. And what? They're bundled together and burned. It shows eternal judgment. You know, think about that. They, 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 they thought they were growing. They thought they were blessed. They thought everything was good. They thought they were, you know, doing fine. But they never took the time to have a genuine relationship with Christ. They were religious and lost. Or they were just plain lost. Or they were angry at God. And all of those from all of those groups are going to get bundled up at the end of the age. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a separation between the wheat and the tares. And understand, it's the, de- it's the devil's doing that he sows them, but the angels are going to sort it all out on God's behalf. One group is going to be thrown into the fire. That's not a group any of us want to be in, or we don't want to see anybody in that group. And you and I need to be preaching the gospel and loving people. Love them weeds all around you. Love your weedy neighbor. Love your weedy coworker, Love your weedy family member. Because you know what? We don't want them to be bundled up and burned. We want them to be saved, amen. God can turn a weed into a wheat. See that? You know, in the natural, that doesn't happen. In the, the field, you, you can't go to the weed and, you know, water it or give it nutrients or give it fertilizer and it turns into wheat. That doesn't happen. A seed reproduces after its kind. It's an impossible thing in the natural to turn a weed into wheat. But nothing is impossible for God. Because <laughs> we were all weeds. And now we're wheat. Our destiny was to be bundled up and burned, but now our destiny is that we're going to be in the barn with Jesus for eternity. Verse 41 through 43 concludes the whole thing here. And I want to make one point here. Listen to 41 through 43. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. So it's all gods. He he rules and reigns. The enemy has, you know, some influence for a season. He's going to gather what out of his kingdom. Listen to all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Uh, 42 says where they're going into the fiery furnace, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a good place, but the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father forever. So I want to just zero in on something from verse 41. It says, all things that offend, say offend, and practice lawlessness. Dad didn't tell you to repeat that. But offend is important. We're going to look at that. But when it says practice lawlessness, that basically means people who practice sin. You know what the difference between someone who's saved and someone who's lost is, a saved person will struggle against sin and by the power of the Holy Spirit overcome it. But a person who is lost will just give themselves over to sin and practice it. They practice lawlessness. They practice sinful behaviors. They live sinful lifestyles. The Christian struggles against sin and overcomes sin and eventually is delivered from this body of sin in eternity, amen? But the person who refuses Jesus is left to just practice sin. So those who practice lawlessness 
are headed to be bundled up and thrown in the furnace. But notice it says they're all things that offend. Now, I find it so hilarious that our culture is so fixated on what offends it. Do you realize how much our world is just all up in arms about what offends them? I'm offended. You, you, say, you said that word that you can't say. You, that word is not. You used the wrong pronoun. I'm offended. I'm not good at grammar. I don't, I don't know when I'm using a pronoun or not half the time. But the world gets all offended, and it thinks because it's offended that, you know, we have to care. Well, well, you know, that you, you Christians and the Bible and all your rules, and that, that, that's offensive. We don't want to hear about that. You know what? I don't care. I'm a preacher. I, I got this is... <laughs> We should stop caring about people who are offended. You know, until we do, they're not going to go away. Because the more we cater to it, the more traction they get. And the more, oh, this is working good. I'm offended at this. I'm offended at But look at all the things that offend. The world is so ratcheted up about what offends it. And, you know, and it's not immorality, it's not iniquity, it's not perversity, it's not injustice, but they're offended by things like Christians and the word of God and people who dare to live the word of God and people who have the audacity to live moral absolutes and keep the commandments of Jesus and, and you know, uh, want to keep themselves sexually pure and, and don't want to participate in the debauchery of the world. And they're offended at that. But in the final analysis, it's not going to matter one bit what uh, you know, they're offended about, about what the sinful lost world is offended about. It's going to matter what offends God. And all this talk about being offended, it seems like no one in our culture cares what offends God. And in the final analysis, that's the only thing that's going to matter. No one's going to stand at the great white throne judgment and say, God, I'm offended. You're a misogynist and you're, you know, you subjugate animals. And do you hear some of the crazy stuff people say? Try that on Judgment Day. I'm going to take out my phone and film it. <laughs> because in the final analysis, it doesn't matter what we're offended at or what the world's offended at. It matters what offends God. And one group's going into the lake of fire, and the other one's going into the presence of God for eternity. Amen. So the parable of the wheat and the tares is finished. Jesus gives the explanation of it. The disciples understand it. Remember, parables are simplistic stories with deeper spiritual meanings, and hopefully we've milked out all of the spiritual meaning in there so that we've got it in our hearts now. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight for the first of seven kingdom parables. And Father, I pray that it's impacted us and it's encouraged us. And Father, we can see some things a little more clearly than we did when we started that, you know what, we don't need to make those in the world around us happy. We just need to please you. And we're not part of the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of darkness, but we are sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. 
We have an eternal destiny in the presence of God. In the final analysis, it doesn't matter who likes us, who doesn't like, like us, who's pleased with us, who's mad at us. If we please you and we have served you and with gladness, Lord, then our eternity is settled and we're just passing through this place. Father, help us as we're passing through to preach the gospel, to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of evangelists, to, to tell everyone who will listen that Jesus can save them and turn the weeds in their life into wheat, to take them out of the darkness into the light. Lord, let that be our mission, our, our main focus in all we do. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.